continuing our study we're calling weird and last week we looked there at verses 8 through 12 and we said that the again Peter is writing to a group of believers who are uh, scattered and who are being persecuted and he's saying that the fellowship the gatherings the unity the family bonds that we have amongst the people of God that, that we're to form sort of what we, we called it an alternate society, that we're to be different. And specifically, specifically how we, through how we treat one another. And we saw that last week, as John just read, harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind, brotherly uh, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil. He goes on in, in 10 through a 12 to talk about our, our words, and we talked about that, how... At, at all times, we're capable of sinning through our words. We have, everything we, we have everything needed to sin through our words. And again, as the people of God, we're called, we called to bless when we're insulted, not, not to insult in return for insult. We're to bless when we're insulted. We're not to curse when we're cursed. And again, this is about being an, an alternate society. It's about giving a testimony as he starts in verse 11 of chapter 2 to the greatness of God, to the, to, the, to the excellencies of God, as he says. And one of the ways we do this is, is how we respond to insults, how we respond to, to being mistreated, how we respond to, to, to things being said about us. We're to be different. And, and when faced with insults, when faced with with suffering, how will we respond? And in the face of those people that insult us, that threaten us, that pursue us, how will we stand? Will we stand? You know, Paul is, I mean, Peter is dealing with that this morning, that in the midst of opposition, in the midst of persecution, will you stand? Will you not be moved? And what he does is he will build this upon understanding of Christ's final victory, of our, of our resurrection. The victory of Christ. And, and, and we are commanded, he's going to get into that, we're, we're not going to get into it, we're going to kind of get into it today, but we're commanded to be able to give a defense for the hope that is in us. We're commanded to be able to do that with gentleness and respect. But how do we get to a place where we'll do that? How, how do we get to a place where we will stand in the face of opposition, where we won't be intimidated, where we won't back down, where we won't quiet up, where we won't not say a word because we face opposition? How do we get there? I think that's what Peter is, is talking about today. And, and what he says is, is very different than somewhat how we've approached it. How, how do we face opposition due to our faith? How do we faithfully stand firm in the face of opposition and yet do it gently and respectfully? And that's what Peter... And again, think about it. These believers are being persecuted. They are being openly persecuted for their faith. The need to be able to stand firm. The need to know how to stand firm. The need to do that gently and respectfully and still honor the Lord, to not return insult for insult on that. Huge. And what Peter gets at here, you'll see, is your main point. 
and, and where this, this desire and, and willingness to defend God, to stand firm, where does it come from? It comes from fearing God more than, fear, more than you fear man. In, in the midst of unjust suffering, in order for us to be able to be ready to give a defense, we have to fear God more than we fear other people or the things of this world. That's where it starts. And I believe Peter makes this clear. To, to be certain, to be certain, God's people are tasked with defending the truth of the word. We saw it last, last sermon in 1 Timothy, or two sermons ago, in 1 Timothy 3.16, that, that we are, the, the church is the pillar and the support of truth. Jude 3 says, earnestly contend for the faith. Philippians 1.7 says Peter, that Paul was set for the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. 100% certain we are to stand for truth. Acts 17, Paul, Peter, they say, we, we, daily they, they both said that they stood in the synagogues preaching the word. We, we are to earnestly contend for the faith. But where does it come from? Where does this willingness come from? Where does the willingness to, to stand firm in the face of God and, and where does the willingness for Peter when he says, listen, and they say, look, we're gonna, if you don't stop preaching the gospel, we're going to kill you. And Peter looks at them and says, then do what you have to do. I will not stop preaching the gospel. Where does that willingness come from? Where, where does a willingness to have your back beaten wide open Slayed open for everyone to see, and you just go on to the next city and keep preaching the gospel. Where does that come from? Peter would have known firsthand where it came from. Peter would have known firsthand the willingness to stand firm in the face of opposition. Satan will always seek to intimidate believers into not obeying, to not standing firm, to being quiet. He will seek to intimidate. And he'll primarily do it through fear. And, and as I dug into this, I, I, I learned again afresh and anew that I think our tendency is to go about this all wrong, or really maybe from the wrong angle. This, Peter is not calling us here when we, when we get to verse 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give an, an answer for the hope, a defense for the hope that is in you, and yet do it with generous and respect. He's not simply calling us to having right answers. That, that's kind of how we've approached it. Like this little book that we pull out of our back pocket, if they ask this question, you tell them this. If they ask this question, you tell them this. I'm not against having a good answer. But my, I think Peter's point is this, where do we have the boldness to pull the book out and even study the answer and know the answer? Where does that boldness come from? And that's what Peter's getting at. This is more than just having an answer. This is more than just trying to win an argument. This is more than just about being right. Because, look, you may be right, and yet everybody else in your class, students, is against you. Will you continue to stand up for what is right? It's not just about being right. At your work, you may be right. They're going to fire you anyway. Are you going to stand firm? Or are you going to quiet up? 
in your neighborhoods, in your marriages. You may be right, but will you stand firm in being right? Will you do it graciously? Will you do it respectfully? Because it's more than just having right answers. Our kids need more than right answers. And Peter is saying that our defense and our willingness has to be rooted in a confidence in who God is and what He's promised. It's what Peter calls hope. And again, verses 13 and 14, we're going to continue this section next week. That's why there's a, there's a one on your handout, but there's not a two. There's a one. We're going to finish this next week, but in the midst, you'll see that in the midst of unjust suffering, Peter's going to tell us in verses 13 and 14, in order for us to be ready to give a defense for our hope that is in us, we must fear God more than we fear the things of this world. Look at what he says. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, and yet with gentleness and reverence. Peter is speaking into a context of unjust suffering. He, he wants you, if you just read 13, again, this is where, this is where people get, go south real quick. They'll pull verse 13 out and see, look, hey, if you serve the Lord, everything's going to be great. Who's there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Peter answers that in verse 14. You're going to suffer. He's going to something much deeper than what people who just pull verse 13 out and see, if God's for you, nothing ever bad is going to happen. That's bad theology. That's a lie. Peter addresses the, the position here and the confidence that believers can have in the midst of unjust suffering. He's saying not only is it a possibility, it's a probability that you will suffer because of your faith. And again, that, that's the suffering here. We've talked about this. That's the suffering Peter is talking about. It is because of your faith. It's not because of your sin. These believers were suffering because they professed Christ as Lord. How do they stand firm in the midst of this opposition? You'll see it on your handout. The greatest threat to our ability and desire to stand firm in God's grace in the face of unjust suffering is fear. It's fear. Fear of what it will cost us. Friends, family, loved ones, jobs, money, reputation. Those are all real fears that everyone in this room has probably, if not all of them, battled through most of those at some point in your life as a believer. And Satan will always try to use fear to thwart what God is doing through his people. He will try to intimidate. He will try to get you to respond to fear. And, and this has always been the case. We see a very, very clear example of this in, in Ezra chapter 4. I, I'll turn there, Ezra chapter 4, right before Nehemiah. God's people, understand the context here, God's people had been sent back to their homeland to rebuild to rebuild the people, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city walls. And, and in, the enemy comes in and wants to help. And the people of God say, no, you, we don't have anything in common with you. We worship different gods from you. We, you're not helping us rebuild an offering and these things. And so guess what happens? 
they try to thwart them, and they do a good job of it through fear. Look, look in Ezra 4, verses 4 through 7. Listen. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building. They had a clear command to build. The reason they were sent back was to build. And hired counselors against them, look, to frustrate their counsel all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And in the days of Artaxerxes, Bishlam, Meredith, Tabeel, and the rest of the colleagues wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the text of the letter was written in Aramaic and translated from Aramaic. What were they writing? They were writing accusations. They were using intimidation to thwart what God had clearly told his people to do. And it worked. It worked. The threat of persecution the threat of punishment, and it was some time. There was a huge delay there in Ezra, you'll see, before they began working again on what God had called them to do. And, and what we see here in 1 Peter, verse 13, follows closely on the heels of what we saw last week. Again, you see the mention of blessings, but if you, verse 14, should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. Up in chapter verse 9, we are called for that very blessing. And verse 13 follows very, right on the heels of what he said in verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. Listen, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter is offering the antidote to the fear of man here so that we will stand firm in the face of opposition. And he, he says in verse 13, Who is there really to harm you if you chase after God? And again, he follows up in verse 14 with a clarification, but not in the way you would think. He assures believers, but he assures them with promises outside of this world. Not material blessings. And what Peter is saying, you see it in your handout, the assurance of a believer's future blessing in their inheritance is what Peter holds out. Not blessings of this world. You're blessed. We saw that last week. But the blessings are, are relationally. They're, they're with due to Christianity, not necessarily material blessings. And Peter says, even if you suffer, and we will suffer for Christ's sake, it cannot separate you from your inheritance, from God's promises. Therefore, we can have eternal hope and are blessed. Therefore, do not fear their intimidation. It cannot separate you from what God has promised. Salvation through Christ does not exempt us from suffering. It exempts us from the dangers of being separated from our salvation. It exempts us from suffering or the wrath that is due to our sin. Why? Because Jesus Christ bore that wrath. But it doesn't exempt us from physical suffering here on this earth. Matter of fact, Jesus promised it. So how do we stand firm in the face of it? Well, again, believers, you see it on the handout, can confidently face any suffering due to their Christianity because God has promised He is for us and never will leave us nor forsake us, guaranteeing our inheritance no matter what we face. Paul, Paul reiterates this in Romans 8, 37-39, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58. The sting of death is gone. Satan's victory is gone. Therefore, he says in verse 8, 58, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. As we were singing this morning, I thought about, I thought about Psalm 2 as Daniel was singing this morning and, and its relationship to the text. The psalmist writes this, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? Listen, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, that's Christ, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart. Let us cast away their cords from us. Listen to, what Jesus, listen, listen to God's response. The psalmist says in verse 4, He who sits in the heavens laughs. You know what God does is hit enemies? He laughs. You know what God's doing right now with the thought that, that, that Satan's going to separate you and I from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? He laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. That word there, the word there scoffs, it, it points to how ridiculous the thought. It's a ridiculous thought to think that those who are truly in Christ Jesus will ever be separated from Christ Jesus. It's just ridiculous. He says, then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as an inheritance. Christ's rule, certain. Our rule with him as believers, certain. Therefore, listen, Peter is saying, therefore, you can face suffering with confidence and hope. Why? Because he, you as a believer, cannot be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. No matter what they do. And the number one thing, you see it in your handout, the number one thing that believers must grasp is that God is for us. We shared that earlier from Romans 8.31. Therefore, if God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, if, if God is for us, who then can really be against us? The answer is nothing. Will, will there be things that are against us, people and things? Yes, they can't be against us in this. They cannot separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. They can't eternally win. That's what Peter is saying. That's what Paul is saying. Listen, the worst case scenario for any believer is that you and I get separated from God and we suffer the wrath of God due our sin. Belief in Jesus Christ has made that a non-possibility. Again, it's 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old things are gone, the new things are gone. Ephesians 1.13. Therefore, you, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Sealed. Take the yellow and the blue and it makes green. It's the Ziploc bag thing. You're sealed. Sealed. The contents are sealed. In his day, in Paul's day, the, the writers would take an envelope, they'd fill it over the back, they'd wet some ink with a stamp, and they'd paste that stamp over the part of the seal, and it would, it would show that everything, everything in this letter, as long as this seal is sealed, everything in this letter belongs to me. It's from my hand. Think about that with regard to you, believer. You've been sealed. You know what that seal says? God says, he belongs to me. She belongs to me. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to prove it. 
Christ has made separation from God an impossibility because He took our place. He was our substitute. He took the wrath of God that was justly due our sins. He took it upon Himself. Therefore, God can maintain His righteousness and be a righteous judge and separate you and I, believer, from our sin. Why? Because He punished Christ. He doesn't have to punish us. He punished Christ. He was our substitute. God is for you. Cling to this truth. The permanence of the love of God that Satan's goal is always to use suffering to th- and, to, and fear to thwart obedience, to thwart what God wants to do in you. God's goal is to advance the gospel through his people's growth, even in suffering. And again, salvation doesn't exempt us from suffering. But it does exempt us from being separated from God. And all throughout the Bible, we again, that, that confusion has always reigned. Go read Philippians. That was the issue of Philippians. There was a, a great confusion over Paul's circumstances. That's why he says in verse 12, Brethren, I do not want you to be unaware of my circumstances, that they've actually turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, that through my imprisonment, and my imprisonment, it's interesting, he says there, for the cause of Christ. Just so you're sure, why am I in jail? Because of Christ has actually turned out for the greater advancement of the gospel. Not an exemption from suffering. An exemption from being separated from God through our suffering. And the irony is what Peter says, you see it in the hand there, where Satan intends to destroy or distract or defeat us through suffering, God intends to bless. Again, he says it, you are, you're blessed. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. Matthew 5, 11, he says, Blessed are you when you are insulted for my name. Blessed. That's weird. Paul talks about this in Philippians 3, 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, but also, what does he say? The fellowship of his sufferings. Paul talks about this in Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ and die as gain. He says, look, you kill me, I get Christ. You don't kill me, I go on sharing the gospel, I get Christ. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Either way, I get Christ. That's weird. But, but imagine, imagine, again, you see what was behind Paul and Peter's boldness. It wasn't simply that they knew answers. They knew the God behind the answers. There was a relationship. They were confident in His promises. That nothing could separate them. And again, the, the fear of intimi- and intimidation, the fear of harm has always been one of Satan's main ploys. Jesus spoke to this in Matthew 10, 28. He says, Do not fear him who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul. Even in Isaiah 50, verse 9, it says, Look, the Lord helps me. Who will harm me? Isaiah dealt with the same issue. Nobody. The answer is ultimately nobody. And you see it on your handout, when our, our assurance and confidence in God's promises, fear is destroyed by the certain hope of our inheritance. I mean, th- this is where it is. 
This is where it's rooted, the willingness, the boldness to stand firm. It's rooted in a confidence in God, an assurance in who God is, not just simply some answers. Boldness, assurance, fervency. Even blessing. Believers, you see it there on your handout, can stand firm in face of opposition if we would really understand there's a blessing there. Again, but that's faith. That's faith. Like we quoted earlier from John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Who who believes in me will not die even though he should die. Do you believe this? Not, not can you quote this? Not do you know where this is? Do you believe this? The word believe there, it literally means to lean one's entire weight upon. Do you believe it? Put all your hope in it. Put all your eggs in that basket. Belief. And that's what Paul, that's what Peter here is getting at in in verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you. In, In the original in the original translation, there's no verb in verse 15. And, and you see that by in, in your Bible, hopefully the word being is in italics. What that means is that it is not in the original. The, the writers, the translators put that in there so that it would become, it would be easier to read. Because literally in the Greek, it would say, Sanctify, reverence Christ as Lord in your hearts, always ready to make a defense. And you, you, you think, well, why does this matter, Chris? What's the point? The point is this. What Peter is showing us here is there is a very close, and the word there on your handout is connection between sanctifying or revering Christ in your hearts and always being ready to give a defense. The question becomes, what does it mean to sanctify or to revere Christ? And, and you look again at verse 14. Sanctifying, revering Christ is the opposite. The context answers your question. Sanctifying and revering Christ is the opposite of fearing man. It is the opposite of fearing man. Literally what Peter is saying here is, don't fear man, revere Christ. What does it mean to revere? It means to set Christ apart from everything else. It means to love him more than anything else. It means that he is the treasure, Matthew 13, in the field that you leave everything else for. You sell everything else in order to buy that field. It means being more confident in his promises than anything else. And when you start putting all this together, you see it on your handout. What this shows us is that the fear of man and the fear of God are in opposition of each other, they're in opposition. How do you set apart Christ and be ready to give a defense? You fear Him more than you fear man. You seek to honor Him more than you seek to honor man. And, God, and the, the fear of man is squashed by an understanding of God, God and His promises. And it's interesting, in verse 14 here, do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Peter is quoting Isaiah 8 here. And, in, and specifically, Isaiah 8 12. And in Isaiah 8, what you have here is, is that you, 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 
God gives Israel, Isaiah rather, a warning. They're, they're facing opposition, and he gives them a warning. And, he's, and he gives them a warning of how they ought to be in the face of opposition. What must their attitude be in the face of opposition? And look what he says in, in verses 10 through 14 of Isaiah 8. He's speaking to the believing remnant. Devise a plan, start in verse 11. Or start in verse 10, I'm sorry. Devise a plan, but it will be thwarted. State a proposal, but it will not stand. For God is with us. They're talking to their enemies here. For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, You are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy, and you are not to fear, here it is, you are not to fear what they fear or be dread in it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Then he shall come, become a sanctuary, both to both houses of Israel, a stone to, to strike and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Israel. What, what he's saying there is this, that God is our refuge and our strength, not man and their approval. Our real security, our real safety, our real hope is in God, not in what men think about us. Men liking us, men approving us, men agreeing with us, not, not coming against us, that may provide a momentary uh, freedom from opposition, from opposition, but it's not the freedom of opposition that we really are looking for. It's, tum- it's temporary. We're, what he's saying is this, and Isaiah reminds them, we're not protected by men agreeing with us. We're not protected by the world agreeing with us. We're protected by a God who stands over us. We're protected by a God who says in Psalm 3, that thou, O Lord, art shield about me, the glory and the lifter of my head. Psalm 46, that you, O Lord, are refuge. It's the Lord that's the protector. It's not your friends agreeing with you. It's not your friends not persecuting you. See, because that can happen for all the wrong reasons. That can happen because we're quiet. That can happen because we don't speak up. That can happen because our lives look too much like the world. Look, we don't judge ourselves based on whether the world agrees with us or not. We judge ourselves based on whether we're faithful to the word or not. We're faithful. And we, we will all, what Peter is saying there is this, we will always be ready to defend God when we worry more about displeasing God than we worry about pleasing man. When we care more about offending God than man. That's the root. And, and we say all the time, well, I don't know, I don't speak up because I don't have all the right answers, or I might get asked something I don't know, or... Listen, you're always going to get asked something you don't know. Some of, some of the passages in the Bible that I feel like I know the best, you know how I know them the best? Because somebody asked me a question I didn't know, and I went and dug up the answer. But it didn't stop me from speaking. Corey and I were in the bank just on Thursday, and the, the guy knows I'm a pastor, and, and that can change the conversation let's just say that and you know he's using all these words and i'm like what do you mean by that i asked him I said, what do you mean by that and he had no answer so what do you mean by this no, he knew all the language 
And I just said, Let, let's stop right here just for a second. Can we press pause on this transaction just for a second? And we shared the gospel with him. Clear as day, just, we were there for, we ended up being there for over two hours to share the gospel. It was a chance to share the gospel. Did I have a, I didn't expect this to be a three-hour journey. But it was worth it to share the gospel. Why well, was I able to do that? Because, listen, I care more about that man's soul than what he thinks about me. I care more about honoring God than what that man thinks about me. And if it means I have to put some weight on the bar and, and speak against what he's saying, then so be it. I think I asked Corey, we did it in a very gentle way, a respectful way. We're right there in the bank. We're not yelling at each other. But I care more about his soul than I do what he thinks about me. And, and, and what I said stood in great opposition to what he was saying to me. I'm aware of that, and yet he needed to hear it by the grace of God. Because I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to go to heaven. Not, not going to church, not, not doing all these things that this person talked about he did. Who is Jesus? And, and again, the root... The root of not speaking up, the root of not standing firm, the root of, of backing down is a fear of man more than a fear of the Lord. That's what Peter is saying. He says, you will always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you when you fear God more than you fear man. That's where it starts. Because listen, when you fear God more than you fear man, that's when you'll go dig in this Bible and find the answers. That's when you'll be digging in there regularly and get the answers. This won't just be an answer trivia thing where I go to it when I need an answer. No, I'm going to it every day. Therefore, when the opportunity presents itself, I've already got the answers. It's about fearing God more than man. And God was displeased. Peter quotes Isaiah 8, and God is saying... He was displeased that his people feared the same things that the world feared, even though they had God and his promises on their side. That's the context of Isaiah 8. That's the context that Peter quotes. That God was displeased in his people because they feared the same things the world feared, even though he had made promises to the contrary for them. And yet they still feared what the world feared. And the reason he says we can have not fear, we cannot fear is because we have God on our side. We have his promises. If God is for us, again, who is really against us? Will Satan come against us? Yes. Listen, he cannot separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The worst thing that he will do to me is kill me. Guess what? Is that sad? Yeah. But it will usher me into eternal happiness beyond my, beyond my wildest imagination. And if he doesn't kill me, then we're going to keep on preaching the truth. And that right there will usher me into a fellowship with the Lord and grow me into, in sanctification and all that. Either way, listen, you get Jesus. Do, do you see why, G, why Paul could say in Romans 8.37 that in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer? Because the very thing that Satan wants to use to destroy you, God uses to grow you. Like you can't lose. The very thing that God wants to kill you with, you get Jesus more. That is overwhelmingly conquering. If we fear God more than man. And we have his promises. We have his word. And what Peter is saying is that knowing the character of God ought to take away the fear of man. 
And you see it on your hand now. The fear of man is replaced with a confidence in God because of his promises and his character. I mean, think about this. I thought about this. The other night, terrible lightning storm, thunderstorm came through. Like a, it, it sounded like a rushing elephant running into our room across the house when that thunder clapped to dive in our bed. I mean, I think my daughter left. She leaped at our door and landed in our bed. Listen, she was scared. But, but what quelched her, her fear? Her mom and dad's presence. Same thunder, same lightning still going on. Slept quiet as a baby. Why? Because her mom and her daddy were laying next to her. She was certain. She was certain that her mom and daddy weren't going to let anything happen to her. Her confidence was not in the storm stopping. Her confidence was not in the house. It wasn't in any of that other stuff. It was in her mom and her dad. Our confidence is not in the world. It's not in the promises of the world. It's not in the things of the world. It's not in making peace treaties with the world. Our confidence is in a God who has said, I am for you, therefore nothing can really be against you. It'll try. But the Lord sits in the heaven and he laughs. He scoffs. Because nothing, nothing can separate us. And the challenge, for, the challenge for us, the challenge for me as I read this is, is literally, I came in here and sat in the dark and, and had to repent. Because fear of man, you know what that shows? That I really don't trust you, God. There's part of my life where I don't trust you. And God, I've offended you because I've sought to please people more than you. And unfortunately, there's been times where I've sat across from people and I didn't say a word when I should have spoken up like I did on Thursday. Why? Because of fear of man. And in the face of all the promises, I mean, it would be like, it would be like if Sarah Grace was scared in the middle of the night in that thunderstorm and she ran to the neighbor's house. How offended would you be? Mom, if you, Dad, if you were over there and two other people were over here and you made a promise and those people made a promise and your child walked down this aisle and your child went to the other parents. Would you be offended? Would you be hurt? You'd say to yourself, there's something wrong with the relationship. If Sarah Grace would have got up and went, out, went over to the neighbor's house that night, there's something wrong with that picture. And God has offered us promises in the face of persecutions. And, and what God is saying is, listen, cast your vote in God's favor. Stand on the promises of God. And the last fill in there, love for God and trusting His character and promise and presence is the essence of reverence and the source of reverence. It's, and it's not only the essence, it's the source. 
It boils down to relationship, not just right answers. The, the fear of displeasing God more than the fear of, please, of, of displeasing man. Is that you today? Does that describe you today? Are you more fearful of displeasing God than man? Is what you are cultivating through your time with God, is that cultivating a fear of God? Or are you simply wanting some knowledge so you can shut people up with the right answers? Do, do you, that's where I, I have had to sit before God and repent that I, I can come to a passage... And I can study this passage and I can know this passage so I can preach this passage and listen to me. I can use this passage to preach a sermon and miss the God behind the passage. That's the danger. I can, I can miss the God, miss the relationship behind the passage. And so can you. It's about a relationship. It's about a heart that wants to please God more than anything else. And I challenge every one of us in here to settle the issue of whom you'll serve. Choose this day, Joshua 24, 15. I've set before you a choice. Choose this day whom you'll serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve, I hope. But it starts, with, it starts with fearing the displeasure of God and, and sinning against Him more than man.